You're listening to the feed. This is the feed. This is the feed. The feed. You're listening to the feed. In Markham. In Richmond Hill. You're listening to the feed in Vaughan. In Stouffville. In Woodbridge. In Unionville. You're listening to 105.9 The Region. I'm Station Manager Tina Cortez, and this is The Feed. We are York Region's only news magazine show dedicated to the issues and events that matter to all of us who live and work here. Coming up on the show today, the plan for faster Internet coming soon to more areas across York Region. Also ahead, we learn more about Girls, Inc., a group to inspire strong, smart, and bold girls But we begin with celebrating the legacy of Gord Downey and the significant work by researchers at Sunnybrook Hospital. Jim Lang with the story. The legacy of Gord Downey, the frontman, lead singer, and the glue that held the tragically hip together lingers on in many different ways. One of them is with a fellowship that's been established at Sunnybrook Hospital in brain oncology and the research of brain cancers and brain tumors. To talk more about it, it is the second doctor to receive this coveted Gord Downey Fellow in oncology at Sunnybrook, Dr. Jay Detsky. Dr. Detsky, how are you? I'm good. I guess, I mean, before we get into how you got to doing this, what is the the thrust or main focus of your research, what you do now? So I treat uh, brain and spine tumors with radiation, and the focus of my research is really to help get better pictures of the tumors we're trying to treat so that we can treat them in the best way possible so that we can try to keep people alive as long as possible and minimize the side effects of of the treatment that we give them. So it's all about getting better pictures and using uh, images uh, with MRI and CT scans to uh, to decide how to best treat patients. I guess for people listening who don't understand, how crucial is something like this fellowship that you're receiving to your research and to helping better to diagnose and treat these kind of diseases? It's been it's been really an amazing experience, and, and what the fellowship does is it, it provides me with uh, a year where I can learn from the experts that work at Sunnybrook Hospital uh, treating brain tumors and allows me to, to start up my own research into uh, trying to figure out how we can move the field forward so that all future patients with uh, types, the types of cancer that unfortunately Gord Downey had, we can uh, uh, treat them better and uh, help them to live longer and better lives. Now, this sounds like a really different animal than the day-to-day routine of a regular doctor. So how different is your daily routine now doing this kind of research? So uh, the fellowship uh, allows me to do a mix of both seeing patients and treating them and gives me some protected time to to pursue my research. Uh, It's quite common within uh, people who treat cancer, especially at uh, large uh, cancer-focused hospitals like Sunnybrook, to have some time to, uh, to to dedicate to research, so that we're not just treating the patients that we that we see and 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 have to help um, and do our best to help, but we also try to move the entire field forward to uh, to, to help future generations of people uh, with these kinds of cancers. Speaking with Dr. Jay Detsky, who's been the second doctor to receive the Gord Downey Fellow in Oncology at Sunnybrook's Odette Cancer Center. Um, now, I, I guess. A doctor at your level and someone of your intelligence is always yearning to learn more things. Are you already finding that you are learning more about your specialty and learning more about how you can help people in the future? Yeah, that's what this uh, the fellowship uh, it really is geared towards. It's it's a year to to learn and hone your skills 
And, uh, you know, I, it allows me to go to conferences around the world and learn from other people uh, all over, you know, Europe and North America uh, on how, what they're doing to, uh, to move the field forward and uh, really allows me to learn uh, from the worldwide community, but also to learn from, you know, Dr. Perry and Dr. Sagal, who are the two heads of, of brain uh, cancer uh, treatment and research here at Sunnybrook, allows me to learn directly from them um, about, you know, what is, is new and cutting edge and how we can uh, help our patients in the best way we can. As a doctor, Jay, it must be like a hockey player being named to Team Canada. This is the ultimate. Yes, so uh, this is, you know, it's, it's truly a world-class center um, with, with world-renowned experts uh, in the field. So it, it's, it's quite an honor, uh, and, and I'm extremely grateful to be able to work uh, with the, uh, the team uh, here uh, that is, it is, is, you know, really advanced and moving, moving everything forward. What is the state of brain cancer in Canada? Are we worse off than other countries, better off? Where, where do we rate? Canada has has top of the line care. You know, it's equivalent to the best care you can get anywhere in the world. Um, and not only do we offer the newest technology, because radiation is is one of the main ways that we treat uh, brain tumors. Not only do we have the best technology here in Canada, but we also have the people that are using new technologies. Uh, to try to combine, you know, things like ultrasound and MRI and the radiation that we use uh, with new combinations and new drugs. Uh, and so there's a lot of uh, studies or trials open here that allows us to not just give the best care, but, but try to, uh, you know, in some certain dire situations, give uh, uh, new experimental care that, that may help patients uh, live longer and better. But for someone like me who is initiated in this kind of field, is is the survival rate for people with brain cancer in Canada getting better and better through the years? It is. You know, we it's it's uh, we we uh, look at all sorts of experimental drugs and new treatments, and every five to ten years, there's a breakthrough where we're improving uh, the survival rate, but. For, for, for glioblastoma, which is the kind of uh, brain uh, cancer that Gordowney had, still the survival on average is about a year and a half, maybe two years. And so, unfortunately, it's still quite a deadly disease, and we're, we're really looking for that home run breakthrough uh, to help, uh, help control these tumors for longer. Were you a Tragically Hip fan before you received this fellowship? I was. I've, I've, my whole life, I mean, I grew up in Toronto. I've been uh, a huge Tragedy Hip fan my whole life. Uh, I saw them twice live in concert, which I feel like as a Canadian hip fan is actually probably on the low end <laughs> compared to a lot of other hip fans. So it must have been a real special moment to you personally to, to know that you were part of this. It is. It's, it's, you know, the hip fans are amazing, and uh, it's really special to know that they you know, reached into their pockets and donated to this cause. Uh, they were moved by, you know, Gord's story and his life and his legacy, and they were moved to, to, to donate money, and this fund is now being used to help people, uh, to really support, you know, people like me so that we can, you know, really try to help patients uh, or people like Gord uh, in similar situations. So it's, it's really an honor, and uh, I'm quite fortunate to have uh, received this fellowship. Dr. Jay Detsky, I compliment you on your work and your research. Uh, I can't think of a, a more deserving member of this fellowship. The Gord Downey Fellow in Ecology at Sunnybrook's Odette Cancer Center. The second doctor is Dr. Detsky, and we were just speaking to him. Doctor, I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks. Appreciate it. All the best. Take care.
You'll often hear us say that the feed tells the stories that matter to all of us who live and work and play here. And these stories come to us in many different ways, including via our website. Mathis Bailey connected in just that way. Mathis, welcome to the feed on 105.9 The Region. Hi, Tina. Good morning. So can you tell us a little bit about, you're an author, tell us about your book. So my book is called Confused Spice. It's my debut novel. And it's about two guys who are confused in life. Uh, one is a chef. The other one is a uh, a guy who's on a spiritual journey. And so the world collides together and they find out they have a mutual bond over food. And so one is proposition to teach the other how to cook. And so from that, from that point on, they go on this culinary adventure. It's a culinary adventure and yeah. it's confused spice. And you said that the characters are confused. Yes. What are they confused about? Well, the chef, he doesn't know what career path he actually want to go in. And so um, he doesn't know if he's want to go through cooking or actually writing because he's also a food journalist. And so he kind of torn between the two uh, careers. Uh, the other guy, VJ, he is confused by his religion. He's, he doesn't know. Um, he wants, well, he's Muslim, but he also is dabbling into Buddhism. And so he has some of that aspect of Buddhist philosophy in there. So, yeah. And where did this story come to you? How were you inspired? The story, well, when I'm, I'm originally from Detroit, Michigan. And so I moved here, I would say, eight years ago. And I was very blown away how diverse Toronto was. And I met so many different cultures here. And um, so that was one of my inspirations. And another inspiration is that I enjoy traveling. I've been to India a couple of times. Uh, my husband, he's from there. So um, we didn't meet in India, but we met in Detroit. And so uh, there, that culture just, um, just, I just fell in love with the culture. <laughs> so it just influenced me a lot to write this novel. And yeah, um, I also had, I had a also really, uh, I guess, a depressing moment in my life when I, when I just turned 30. I'm currently 38 now. I'm still kind of confused. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I didn't know what, the, what career path I wanted to go in. And so I was just very torn. I was just turning 30. I didn't know what to do in my life. And so I took a lot of time to, to reflect on my inner self to see where I wanted to go. And um, and this is how the book came about, you know. Um, yeah. You didn't set out then to be a writer. No, I never wanted to be a writer. No, it just it just happened when I took a, a curve writing class. Um, a friend of mine, he wanted me to write food reviews because he knew I enjoy food. And I enjoyed uh, reviewing food at restaurants around Toronto. And so he, he also knew that as well. So... Um, yeah, I decided to take a creative writing class to brush up on my writing skills. And then when I was in a class, Confused Spice came to me. And um, that's how, actually, I'd like to backtrack. I was getting story, like multiple story ideas. And then when I approached it to my husband, he, he said, why don't you write a gay novel? 
And so the credit mostly go to him because right. <laughs> um, uh, the, the story, when he said that, the story came to me instantly. Like I knew I, what I wanted to write about. So it is not one of those books that I struggled with. It just came to me. And um, yeah, and that's how Confused Spice came about. Is there um, some autobiographical portions of this book yes. as well? Yes. Because it seems like, from what you're telling me in this conversation right now, that there seems to be some similarities in the story. Yes. So was there a process then for you personally? Was it cathartic at all? Very uh, th- cathartic. Very. Um, yeah, it just, it, 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 I reflected on myself a lot writing this book. It made me um, figure out what I wanted to do in life. Um Write, I enjoy writing for one. It makes me express myself really well. And only that, I like the fact that people can't connect with the story. So when I have readers uh, send me DMs saying that I really enjoy your work when, you know, when the next one going to come out, you know, that makes me feel good. Like actually people actually enjoying what I have to say about society today. So, uh, I feel like I'm on the right path. So, I'm, yeah. Some of the themes that you're exploring in this book are LGBT themes. And here we are in the middle of Pride Month. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that and the significance of sharing these stories now. Well, uh, I feel like talking about uh, gay rights or anything dealing with the gay movement, it was just help people to open their minds a little bit more, not to be so discriminatory against someone that's different. That's the whole, mostly the mostly the point of the book, because it also talks about discrimination and, um, you know, people trying to uh, to learn about how not to be too uncomfortable around gay people or people that are, you know, trying to figure things out, <laughs> you know? So, um, yeah, that's what Confused Spice is about. So you would get a lot of, you know, teachings and learnings about the gay culture in the book. Now, I know we're talking about this novel, Confused Spice, but you've got another one coming out in the fall, right? Yes, I have another one coming out called Brown Sugar and Spice. It's also a culinary a adventure tale. Uh, it's continue the story with Pierre, which is the main character of Confused Spice. So um, I initially was not going to write this book, but so many readers said, I got to know what happened to these characters because they feel in love with it. So uh, I was compelled to write the second book, the sequel to it. And so uh, that's due out in September 1st. That's fantastic. Yeah. Congratulations. And you have a book signing event this weekend. Tell us uh, where and when. The book signing is happening this Sunday at Yorkdale Mall from 12 to 5. So 12 to 5 tomorrow at Yorkdale Mall. Yes. And where are you going to be? I'm going to be um, at Chapters. Okay. Yeah, Indigo Chapters. So um, come there, get your book signed, get your copy, and we can take some pictures together. So, And if our listeners yeah. want to connect with you, um, is there a website you can share? Yes. So you can reach me at uh, mathisbailey.com or you can reach me at mathisbailey at Instagram or Mathis Bailey at um, Twitter. <laughs> it's very simple. <laughs> Mathis Bailey. <laughs> Terrific. Good luck with the books and right. thank you for being here. All right. Thank you, Tina.
You're listening to The Feed on 105.9 The Region, where we share stories, issues, and events from across York Region, including Girls, Inc., a group working in partnership with schools to help girls value themselves, take risks, and discover and develop inherent strengths. Afwaba with the story. There is a saying that you lift as you climb, and this organization does just that. They lift and empower girls and young women so that one day when they're able to climb, they can lift others up as well. Joining me to chat today about Girls, Inc. is the executive director, Barbara Wallace. Barbara, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Let's let the listeners know, what is Girls, Inc. all about? Girls, Inc. is a registered charity. We run programs throughout York Region, and our mission is to inspire girls to be strong, smart, and bold. That is awesome. And how long has the organization been in place? We have been running for more than 30 years. We're part of an international organization, both in the U.S. and Canada, that's been going for for almost 100 years. Wow. Okay. So then how did the idea then come about in, in York Region? Who brought up the idea? Uh, formerly, we were called Big Sisters of York Region. Mm-hmm. And... Um, We, uh, as many other Big Sisters organizations throughout Canada and the U.S., um, decided to um, have a bit of a name change and a mission change and switch to Girls, Inc. in the late 90s. Pretty cool. And so then, of course, with the name change, but all of the things that you do and and the root of it is, is still at heart. It still hasn't changed. Talk to us about some of the programs that you provide and why you think it's important to provide them. So we are running programs currently in 18 schools throughout York Region. Nice. We do after-school programs. Mm-hmm. We do lunchtime programs. And we also do workshops on a specific topic based on the school's request. So things like anti-bullying, we help to build self-esteem, we encourage girls to um, learn how to get along with each other, to stay in school, we do some conflict resolution, we also empower girls to learn to make good decisions and to really become self sufficient as they grow older and continue on to higher education. And so as the executive director, how have you personally seen uh, the organization help girls and, um, you know, evolve into young women, help young women sort of stand on their own feet in, in terms of going out into the world? How have you seen that? So we've been able to support girls and young women as they grow up, um, as they come through our programs. Um, As they get a little bit older and start to want to branch out, we have leadership positions available. We do some leader in training. Um, As Again, as they grow through the leader in training program, they get volunteer experience. That's in their school, in our programs for their high school credits. And then uh, eventually we can also hire them as a part-time summer staff. We have scholarships that are available to higher education, and we really encourage girls to branch out, whether it's in STEM programs like Mm -hmm. science, technology, engineering, and math, but also through the arts, and encourage them to have their own voice or find their voice and really be who they can be. So what have you seen over the years that have been some of the things that... uh, girls and young women have really struggled with or haven't been able to get um, adequate resources for that you find that the organization, you know what, has really come in to be that middle person to step in to, to help them? So we've been able, we have noticed that there's lots of issues with bullying and social media. 
and sometimes parents haven't aren't as social media uh, wise as the kids mm-hmm. are, so they might not have the best advice or quite know what to do. We've also been able to support girls as they build their self-esteem through going through changes, trying to figure out where they want to go, uh, possibly their families didn't go on to higher education, and so we help them with some options. We do after-school programming where we support them with homework help, and we help them really make good decisions, and we also provide mentoring for the girls as well. We have um, a program where we have executives in New York region through example, American Express Corporation comes out and their executives talk to our girls about, you know, what it takes to be successful in the business world. Positive messages like you don't have to be mean to be popular. Mm -hmm. You know, you can support other women and help build each other up as as opposed to pushing each other down. And I think that is um, some really strong positive messages that we've been able to uh, share with the girls. That is awesome. Okay, and, and I know that uh, one sort of monumental time for uh, young girls growing up in high school, prom. Um, I've heard that there is an organized or there's a program in place that does help young women uh, who might not be able to afford a prom dress or maybe the resources alongside it. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, so this is the fifth year um, that we have done a Girls Inc. Guide to Prom Prep mm-hmm. and we've collected over 300 prom dresses. Many are new. Nice. And we run events throughout York Region, uh, Newmarket, Sutton, and Keswick this year in March, where we had um, give a, we gave out free prom dresses. We had shoes, we had accessories, we had makeup artists from donate their time from the Sephora store. We had some local hairdressers and hairdressing students from some of the local high schools come in and support the girls. Um, as they get ready for prom because it's something so important to to celebrate their successes. And mm-hmm. we also support gir- girls that are going to their grade 8 graduation. We have dresses um, in the smaller sizes and the different styles for the younger girls as well. So this year we gave away over, uh, we were able to support over 135 uh, grade 8 grads slash uh, grade 12 grads throughout York Region, and next year we're hoping to support even more. That's awesome. Okay, congratulations on that. I know that they must have been so happy to have been able to participate. Uh, yes, so incredibly happy and so thankful that we were be, we were able to support them. For sure. Okay, and so now that, uh, you know, the weather's heating up, the summer's coming up, uh, what sort of programs and events do you have in place uh, for, for the girls and young women out there? Our AGM is coming up on Monday, June the 17th. Mm-hmm. Watch our website for more details at girlsincyork.org. And summer camp starts on July the 8th and runs for six weeks again in two locations in Newmarket and Aurora. Registration is open um, now until the end of camp. So anytime you would like to register, please go on our website at girlsincyork.org or you can email us at info at girlsincyork.org and we will send you a registration package. Perfect. Okay, so there's so many things that are coming up just to keep the the girls and young young women busy, um, keep them informed throughout the summer, Mm -hmm. uh, which is great. What else, um, in terms of if if parents have more information, if young girls or women are more interested, they want to volunteer, where can they go for more info? So please check out our website. We are always looking for volunteers for in the program and to be a board member. Go to our website at www.girlsincyork.org. 
Perfect. GirlsIncYork.org. It's definitely an organization you want to get behind. They're doing some great work here in the community. Barbara, thank you so much for chatting with me today and uh, continue to keep empowering the girls. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Station Manager Tina Cortez. Remember, if you missed any part of our show, head over to 1059theregion.com for a replay. Next, the details about the move for faster internet across York Region. Christy Laverty with the scoop from Georgina Mayor Margaret Quirk. Joining us on The Feed now, Georgina Mayor Margaret Quirk. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So today we wanted to talk a little bit about an investment in... Internet. It's an investment from the government of Canada, but it's really uh, an investment for rural communities. Um, something that so many of us take for granted, access to reliable, fast Internet. So share a little bit about what this means and what the investment uh, is. Well, the region of York applied for the federal Connect to Innovate program uh, probably more than a year ago. Um, and we uh, were successful in getting some uh, funding from uh, from the federal government um, to partner with um, both the Chippewas of Georgina Island, with the town of Georgina, and with the region, working together on bringing uh, high-speed broadband fiber up into uh, Georgina. So this is really exciting news for, for all of Georgina, in particular certain areas that, as you've indicated, uh, um, don't have uh, uh, high-speed or any Internet access. Believe it or not, there's, we call them the black holes um, in, uh, in many of our communities uh, in the rural area that um, Internet access is just simply non-existent. And really, that's so important. We think of things, you know, naturally these days, you know, Internet maybe to, you know, watch Netflix or do some surfing on social media, but it really does have an impact on you know, people's ability to maybe run business oh, and the economy oh, in those regions. Certainly, yep. Students are, are you know, doing their homework now on, on uh, the Internet and, and uh, putting stuff up on the cloud. Um, we've got businesses that can't send invoices on their, their products to, uh, to people because they don't have the right upload speeds. We have, uh, you know, people that do work at home that uh, want to be able to uh, upload and download at, uh, at, you know, at their home and be able to, uh, to work from home. So there's a many um, agricultural operations, business operations, uh, private residences and, and schools, um, students that, that need that consistent, reliable, high-speed Internet access. Yeah, because it really is you know, kind of second nature for so many of us who live closer to the urban areas. And, you know, maybe people don't realize how challenging it is for these communities. Yeah, they don't. And, it, and it's funny, we have a, l- a number of new people that have moved into some of those uh, rural communities and rural areas that they never even thought to ask, gee, how's your internet? Because it's just, they figure it's it's just there. They came from an area that, you know, had uh, high speed and, and different things. And now they're like, what do you mean I, I my upload speed is bad? And what do you mean I can't stream movies or that my, you know, son or daughter can't uh, do their homework properly or run my business properly? So um, it's really exciting news. We still have a lot more details to uh, to share with, uh, with the community, um, the exact route of the fiber. And just to be clear, the fiber isn't going to run up and down every uh, every side street. You bring the fiber up into the community and then you work with the, the third-party providers, the uh, Internet service providers, 
to do the last mile to those particular residences and businesses. So we have a lot of work ahead of us. This is exciting news for for Georgina to be able to uh, to be one of the recipients of the funding. There is uh, the York Region Telecom Network, um, which I'm the, the chair of, and we have a 10-year plan. And what this funding does is helps us to speed up that 10-year plan of bringing uh, um, you know, high-speed uh, internet into uh, into more areas of, of all of the York Region. Obviously, my focus personally is on making sure it uh, comes up to uh, Georgina, which this funding lets us do sooner rather than later. And, you know, talking about those next steps and, and plans, what are people going to start to see? And maybe talk about some things for the future, because obviously, you know, you want to expand this. You want to make sure that everybody um, has access and has this technology um, that seems, again, and I, it's funny to refer back to it. It seems like second nature. Like it's, you know, we joke mm-hmm. um, before we start to record, joke about how, you know, when people have trouble with their internet, it's like, oh, first world problem. But it's, it, it it's, it's something that is not accessible yeah, to a large number of people. If we want to be competitive in the, the global world, we all need to have that, that access. And we've defined it now. It's an essential service, just, just like uh, telephone service is essential. Um, a lot of people are getting rid of their home phones, but Internet service has been deemed to be an essential service uh, across Canada. So the Connect to Innovate program did target certain areas, and they sort of focused in on, again, what I'll call the black holes, where there where it was uh, very limited or, or no service. And that assisted us in getting the, the, uh, the grant funding that uh, we're able to, to get. So over the, the coming weeks and months, now that we actually have the official announcement, the York Region Telecom Network will be uh, looking at uh, how we're going to actually, you know, put boots on the ground and, and get the fiber out there. So there'll be um, more information coming out in terms of the exact route and the timing and what this all means. Um, from a, a town of Georgina point of view, we're fortunate we have a, a broadband network ourselves, so we need to figure out how we're going to um, tap into uh, into the the fiber and bring that to uh, all of our facilities and and into other areas of of Georgina. So, stay tuned for for the the details. They'll be coming out as uh, this progresses through the uh, the YTN uh, um, board and and the work plan. So, as I tell people, it's not happening overnight, but we know that that this helps us speed up the the uh, the process of it actually coming to areas like Eudora is one of the ones that uh, in the grant application um, it was identified as as a black hole and uh, the funding is helping us to to get it to Eudora. Well, to get to Eudora, you have to go past a lot of other areas. So that will help other communities within uh, in areas within Georgina. It's just that working with those third party providers to to bring that last mile to to your home or to your business. This is fantastic news, and I'm sure that people, uh, very excited, residents, businesses, uh, you know, Internet. Oh, I know. They're, they're all like, when, when is this happening? Like, you know, tell us more, tell us more, and we, we will be bringing out more and more details. We uh, we have a, a plan to, that we want to share, and it's a very exciting plan, so we're, we're really um, thrilled to be able to get uh, the money from the federal government to help to speed up uh, the, the 10-year plan that your Region Telecom Network has um, in place, this helps us to speed it up. So stay tuned. We'll be sharing a lot more information. Fantastic. Thanks so much for joining us today and uh, Mayor well, thank for you. sharing I this. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you.
You're listening to The Feed on 105.9 The Region. If you have a student at home starting college or university this fall, you know the price tag on a diploma or a degree. York247.com producer Netta Sarshar with what you need to know. With the recent OSAP cuts by the Ontario government and the ever-increasing tuition prices all over the country, it is no surprise that the topic of tuition and university college expenses are on every parent's mind as they consider options for their children. According to the Global News, 20% of bachelor degree holders graduate with over $25,000 in debt. Joining me to speak about this today is Afolabi Lowry, an associate with the World Financial Group here in Vaughan. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Lowry. Glad for having me. So what is the first thing that families should know when thinking about sending children or relatives to colleges or universities? Well, first thing, they should get an estimate of the full cost, right? <clears throat> because depending on the program that they're they're going to enter into, you know, cost can range maybe thirty, forty thousand just for a four year degree. Uh but it also could be eighty to a hundred thousand. If the kid is just born today, looking at eighteen years out there, um projections that estimate that cost could rise to eighty to a hundred thousand just for a four year degree. Um that's them commuting, living at home. And certain degrees like medical, lawyer, legal degrees, they may cost hundreds of thousands, over 400,000. Wow. Incredible. So in pursuit of that, what are some of the mistakes that are commonly made and people could easily avoid? Uh, well, first thing is uh, not maximizing on the grants. So there's certain programs like the RESP where someone can save money for their kids' uh, education long term but if they don't get matching grants that come from the government that can minimize the amount of of, of funds that they can accumulate um, not using tax sheltered accounts because maybe some grandparents or other people want to save um, for the kid but they save it in regular checking accounts and it's taxed a lot so that um, impacts the growth and usually not starting early enough because if you have 10, 15, 20 years of time for money to grow on compound, you will have more funds available for the kid to be able to pay towards their tuition. Yeah, that's right. So say, for example, you're my parents and you have to deal with a undecisive daughter who can't decide which program she's going to go to or whether or not she's actually going to go into a program and sort of last minute have to realize that, you know, you you need to make this financial investment, which I'm very grateful that they did. But um, what how can you if you are in that last minute circumstance, what are some things that you what are some options that you have to make things easier? Well, for sure, once they've decided where they're going to go, you do want to factor in living expenses because if they um, may have to stay on campus, it could be another $5,000, $7,000 worth of uh, rent or staying on the campus um, dorms and, and also for them to maintain their meals and such. Also, there's specialized lending that you can get whether you, if you don't aren't able to qualify for the grants from the Ontario government, if you have to borrow money, student loans, or lines of credit, you want to make sure that you access them that have the lowest interest rate and allow the parent to be able to pay the interest in the meanwhile or the kid to work during school or during the summer vacation to pay out the interest and not worry about the principal until 
they find work after graduation. Right. So if you are taking out a loan, what are some important things that you feel are good for people to know that maybe they don't know? Well, for one, as I mentioned, since it might be a large lump sum that you may be taken out, and you can take it out in stages because you pay your tuition per semester per year, um, try to pay down as much as you can either by working in the summertime off or getting a part-time job so you can take a bite out of the principal since they won't be charging you interest, most student loans, until after you graduate. You can also, for much longer years of studying, either in the legal or uh, medical profession, and then perhaps parents will have to themselves take out loans either against whatever assets they have. It could be their property, which is either getting lines of credit or um, mortgages, so that they can be able to afford when it's several hundreds of thousands. Do you recommend paying off your loans as soon as possible or do you are there plans out there that help you sort of adjust to having loans for a long period of time after you graduate well i'd recommend them trying to pay it off as soon as possible because it will hinder your capacity to borrow if you would like to get a home or maybe car loans and other uh, versions of credit because you have outstanding uh, debt. But usually most people can spread it out over four or five years and and pay down most of it in that period of time. I think any longer than that, then it may start to hinder your future plans. Right. Yes. Got you. So your organization, World Financial Group, um, holds information sessions addressing issues like increasing tuition expenses and how to deal with them. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and where people can go to learn more? Yes, so WFG Vaughn is actually located, our office is located north of Langstaff on Western Road, and we hold the information sessions. This one in specific is going to be on June 13th uh, at our office from 7 to 9. Uh, you can visit our website, www.wfgvaughn.com wfgvon.com. You can also follow us on social media, wfgvon on Instagram. And there you would either see uh, a link that you can actually register, see more at the event, and we encourage people to come out, learn. It's really relaxed social environment and take notes and ask a lot of questions because when you get those questions answered, then you can move forward. Right. And a phrase that I heard the World Financial Group use when discussing tuition and expenses was procrastination is the biggest nation. <laughs> yes, that's true. I mean, the longer you delay, that tends to be the biggest hindrance because the best time to save for a future event is probably yesterday. And then the second best time would be for you to start today. So we always want to educate people so that they know their options, but also urge them to take action. Don't forget that the World Financial Group is holding an information session for tuition strategies on June 13th. Be sure to stop by and learn what you need to. Thank you so much for joining us, Mr. Lowry. Thank you for having me. And just before we go on the feed, our music coordinator, Christina Lavecchia, with new music from Mike Ruby. We stay all night. 
We have Mike Ruby here at the 105.9 Studios. He's a saxophonist, composer, singer. The list really does go on. Thanks for being here, Mike. Thanks for having me. So you're originally from Toronto, but lived in New York City for eight years, where you impressively earned a master's from the Manhattan School of Music studying jazz. As a solo artist, um, a lot of your more recent releases are pop. Do you find your classical jazz roots playing a part at all? I do. It's not something that I thought about, but I was a jazz musician for almost... 10 years. Like I started when I was like 14. Um, and then I transitioned out of jazz into becoming a singer songwriter from there in New York. And during that period, I actually took those two or three years, the last two or three years to like completely forget about jazz. But it's, it's impossible because it's a part of you. So I did stop playing the saxophone for a while. And um, ever since I brought it back into what I do and from a lot of people that listen to me sing, they kind of say, you know, you, you, you have all these different kind of weird, unique lines that you do. It's like, how do you think of them? And it's like, well, I, I don't. You know, it's just, it's literally like that jazz background that that naturally comes through, I think. And what made you uh, decide to make that transition from jazz to pop music? Um, It was actually, it it was a pretty clear, like, moment. Um, I was playing uh, an opening tour with Ellie Goulding at a venue called Terminal 5 in New York. And it was just, it was one of the greatest moments of my life. There were five or 6,000 people kind of clapping and I had this solo and it was amazing. And just to see that many people smiling in, 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 in the moment from pop music, it was like, wow, like, this is kind of what I want to do. Yeah. And then after that moment, I went to a place called Arturo's. It's a pizza bar in Greenwich Village in New York. And there was a jam session there and I took my horn out and played. And the joy that I got from playing in that moment wasn't even like a tenth of the joy that I had playing in the, in the previous moment, literally like an hour before. And that was kind of the flip for me where it was like, you know, I'd really like to write songs and make people sing along like they just were in that concert and, uh, and touch people in that way as well. Did you find it an an easy transition for you or you know the the transition like the flip was easy it was like yeah 100% this is what I want to do but then obviously learning everything from scratch was tough because you just automatically like stink at writing and stink at playing guitar and stink at piano like relatively so you have to invest a ton of time into into learning those crafts um but i enjoyed the process it's just obviously your your limitations on the new instruments you're like oh i wish i could do that because i used to be able to on that instrument but you put the time in and then eventually you know you, you get there you hope you're definitely not new to the professional music scene. You've toured Canada, the U.S., and Europe as a saxophonist. How has that time and those experiences prepared you, you know, for releasing your own music and putting yourself out there as a solo artist? I think um, you, you learn a lot of professionalism from other people that, that you're on the road with. So definitely that experience helped. That said, um, playing saxophone and singing are two totally different things. And then on top of that, singing the words that mean so much to you to like strangers. Mm-hmm. So the first time that I had to do that, even though I had played like at Lollapalooza with a great band called St. Lucia in front of hundreds of thousands of people I, I was like gonna puke <laughs> like <laughs> like before I sang a song in front of like 10 people who didn't even care that I was singing yeah. I was literally the most nervous I had been in my life so you know you definitely learn a lot but but you also have those butterflies that you would you know if you're if you're like a even 11 or 12 trying to play a piano recital it's the same feeling that you get with anything new that you do I think You've done a bunch of music collaborations, as you're mentioning, over the years. Um, but now that you have your own first solo single, Close, what's that experience like? Um, so that was a, I mean, well, it's amazing to, to have my own song coming out. Like as an artist, that means so much because collaborations are amazing too, but they're a different thing. It's like, uh, for the most part with the EDM collaboration, somebody sends you something and it's a beat and usually some chords. And then they say, can you write a melody and can you write lyrics? So you write a story, but you're essentially writing it to their song. And sometimes 
sometimes they actually ask you to write like a specific story tailored to them. So you're you're really writing for somebody else. Whereas you know writing for you, in my case for me, is is very special because the songs have a have a really deep meaning, and and every song on the album actually is about somebody in specific or something that means a lot to me. So the album's going to be called You Wrote These Songs, mm-hmm. and and I hope that everybody listening kind of has that one person per song that they think about when they listen to it. And and the other interesting thing about the whole album is that like you were saying earlier, because of the saxophone and and it's been infused into my music, I decided not to drop it and leave it out. I actually decided to include it in every single song on the album, minus maybe one or two. Even Close, the first single, it's in there, but it's kind of disguised. So what is the song Close about? <laughs> um, it's about a relationship. I, I think you know. I think when you hear it, um, yeah. most people will know. It was about a relationship that I had when I was in New York. Do you find ever yourself kind of um, talking to friends and then grasp ideas that way? And like, you know, I had a really bad date or like uh, this relationship I'm going through. Do you ever incorporate other people into your songwriting? Always. Yeah. Always, always. And, and even the songs that are about a story or something that pertains to my life like in a, in a very special way it's not like exactly the same it's like maybe in, in verse one let's say there are four lines in the first verse two of them will be very specific to my story mm-hmm. but two of them might be very specific to someone else's story yeah. that is about the, that same person in their life as a, in my life like that same role um, but I feel like if I were to just say lines about those exact people they'd be like stop writing about me or like, you know what I mean like nobody might not talk I want to you anymore of that song. and yeah I definitely wouldn't have friends so uh, yeah. that would suck too so you have the new single and the EP coming out what's next for my groupie I'm um, looking forward to touring the album and um, I'm already starting to write well I shouldn't say starting to I'm kind of constantly writing um, as an artist I write whenever I can so I already have some ideas for the second album um, but I'm definitely most excited about touring I mean playing live is something that I've loved forever and something that I've done since I was a little kid so I, I'm excited about it for sure I'm music coordinator Christina Lavecchia to learn more about Mike Ruby you can connect with him at Mike Ruby Music as well as on his website MikeRuby.com you're now listening to a single close for the first time on 105.9 The Region. And don't get me wrong, no. I've been doing better out here on my own. Things are going good, yeah. Things are going good, yeah. But sometimes I think about what we be If we stay on that road Never found perfect but
clouds. That's our show for this week. If you missed any part of the feed or have a story idea or community event, head over to our website, 1059theregion.com. I'm Tina Cortez. Thanks for listening.